St. Martin's School Radio. Welcome to St Martin's School Radio, brought to you once again by me, Bjorn Edwards. And me, Patrick Farmer. As this year is the first time 16 and 17 year olds will be able to vote, we believe that it has never been more important for young people to take an interest in politics. Over the course of the last week, we have been interviewing candidates from the four main political parties in the hopes of gathering an understanding of their top priorities and how they believe they could better our community should they be elected. In the third of our election specials, we will be talking to Plaid Cymru candidate Dallas Jewell. Finhand Amis Jewell, thank you for joining us today. How are you? I'm fine, thank you, Fionn. Thank you so much for having me with you. Like I said earlier, 16 and 17 year olds will be allowed to vote in the upcoming election. Can you tell us why it's so important for young people to be able to go out and vote? So I'm really excited that 16 and 17 year olds are going to be voting for the first time. I think that the reason it's so important is that I think sometimes there's this perception that politics is this remote thing that happens in these corridors or closed rooms in other places, but actually politics is everything that affects our lives. And that's more true of young people than of anyone because young people are the future. And I really feel passionately about wanting to get more young people involved in politics and to see that actually it's something we should all be involved in because it affects everything that's going to happen in our communities, you know, how much is spent on different uh, portfolio areas. They, I'm going to show my age and, and say, and quote the West Wing, uh, the West Wing. So for anyone listening who hasn't seen the West Wing, it's an Aaron Sorkin drama about the White House in America. And in the West Wing, someone says decisions are made by those who show up. And I really want young people to get their voices heard and to be part of these really momentous, really exciting events that are happening. So please, however you vote, please do, do go out and vote. So, Ms. Jill, the first category is about education. How would the proposed reduction of Welsh-born, Welsh university student tuition fees to £7,500 be met? So I think, thanks for the question, Patrick. One of the most important and uh, vital resources we've got in Wales is our young people and their minds. So it's really important that we invest in keeping as many young people uh, being a feeling that they are able to stay in Wales and that they are also employment opportunities after university uh, for them to stay in our community. So uh, in terms of how the proposal in our manifesto would be met. So it would be so it would be reducing the maximum amount that Welsh domiciled students would pay if they went to university in Wales to £7,500. The way that that would be met, we would be subsidising the difference in cost. So the universities wouldn't lose out in any way. And, And that's factored into all of our spending plans in the manifesto. But we do see this as a first step towards making university education free um, because I know that so, so even since I went to university the fees have gone up so much and it's I understand it's off-putting for lots of young people we, I, I know that we also need to ensure this parity of esteem uh, across you know different sectors in terms of apprenticeships in terms of FE colleges then but with university education 
we really feel that we need to make it less of a, a burden and less uh, less and more likely that people from all backgrounds regardless of their family's income can see this as a, as a realistic prospect um leading on with the subject of education in your manifesto you pledge to extend free school meals to all primary school children many critics in general of this scheme have stated they don't believe this scheme would be economically viable with this in mind why do you think that this scheme is so important to put in place and how would you fund it without making cuts to other much needed services so in terms of why it's important it, the main reason i think is because we need to end the stigma that is sometimes associated with free school meals and if you look at countries like finland where i think since the 1940s they've had free school meals uh, regardless of of, of of income then actually they have really seen benefits across the board not just in terms of children's nutrition but in terms of general well-being because the, if children have a nutritious meal at lunchtime that has so many different benefits it means that they are their brains are more um alive to work they're not thinking just about the fact they've got empty stomachs you know the nutrition but the main reason why we would want to do this and why i agree with the policy is is about ending stigma lots of research has shown that if you have free school meals as a basic entitlement for everyone regardless of of, of their family's income actually the uptake of free school meals from uh, amongst children who would have been eligible if it was just means tested that actually goes up as well so the children who maybe they they they, they maybe for whatever reason that they they don't uh, feel able to go for the free school meals even though they would be eligible that gets done away with and i just think that it, it's one of the basic tenets of how civilized a society is that we shouldn't have children going hungry I, I really feel passionately about this. I think I, I, I think that this is one of those social norms that we're it's already changing and we need to be at, at the front of that. Oh, and, and, and forgive me, Fiona, you, you didn't say so in terms of how it would be, how much it would cost. It'd be forty million pounds initially when we're talking, which is the first step of our policy, which would be ensuring that all children whose families receive universal credit get free school meals, because at the moment there are around seventy thousand children living in poverty in Wales who are not eligible for free school meals. So that, so correcting that would be forty-one million pounds. It would go up to one hundred and one million pounds when all infants get free school meals, and it would then be one hundred and sixty million pounds for all primary school uh, students by the end of, of the term of government getting free school meals. All of those costs are factored into, again, the manifesto, which has been verified by independent economists. What support does Ply Cymru intend on offering for those students whose mental health has been affected by this pandemic? Yeah, I think all of us, but particularly young people, that I, this has been such a horribly difficult year. I think that especially the uncertainty about what uh, what's going to happen, how long things are going to go on, the loss of routine. So it's not just um, it, it's not just the loss of school uh, schoolwork and that routine. It, it's the loss of social life um, and different things. I think that for one thing, and as I'm speaking, I realise I'm using the word loss a lot. I think that we need to change the narrative and not be focusing on the idea of what's been lost, but what can be regained. Um, in terms of the more general needs to address anxiety, depression, um, so many different mental health issues that, that young people may be facing, Ply Cymru will be investing in mental health hubs, which are going to be walk-in centres in communities. So you don't have to wait 
or go onto a waiting list for months on end that you can go in and you will be able to get support there and then you'll be referred for help making sure the referral pathways actually do work and we'd be increasing spending generally on mental health as well uh, if we were in government but I think that this is something that this holistically there's so many things that need to be taken into account here so yes the investment in mental health and these hubs but also we need to make sure that schools have the support that they need that there's more resource available for counseling within schools and that we don't put too much pressure on young people to to feel like they have to make something up because my goodness you've had to go through so much this past year one of your top priorities in the manifesto is that you will be increasing minimum wage for care workers to £10 an hour. Why do you believe that this is so important and how would you ensure that, for example, private companies would also implement this? Thanks, Fionn. So the reason I think that this is such an important thing to do is I think that for so long, care has been the forgotten sector. It has, it, obviously, this has changed hugely during the pandemic suddenly there was this re realization and reassessment of what jobs are actually important not just important actually vital in our society and people who actually look after people in the care sector that has to be one of the most fundamentally important jobs in all of society i think for too long under successive governments there's been a policy of outsourcing care work to the private sector, which has meant that inevitably that, that you get the maximum number of care hours for the minimum price. So we need to redress this. We, we, we need to change. I mean, I think that they, we, we're in this crucial moment of opportunity at the moment after, well, I'm saying after COVID, as we're coming out of COVID, I hope, where it's possible to be radical, where it's possible to actually re redress some of these historical uh, inequalities that are kind of baked into our system. One of the ways in which we need to do this is by ensuring that as a minimum, care workers get uh, £10 an hour. And we'd need to, and like you referred to, Fionn, we'd need to work with um, private companies to uh, ensure that that is to, part of care workers' contracts, to, to to be brought progressively into line with what the, not just the the uh, the salary the NHS staff get, but we would also want, also want to see a parity of esteem, parity of conditions between care and health staff. And that would be part of our policy to bring in an integrated health and social care system. Because we, you know, again, the, the last year has shown us all that care shouldn't just be, it isn't just something which we should, I don't know that you should be getting something better if you can afford it. It is a basic it's a basic way of assessing how dignified uh, how civilized rather a society is how we treat the people in our society if Plaid were to secure a majority government what would you do to improve hospital waiting times taking into account a possible influx of patients who have been hesitant to visit local hospitals due to the ongoing pandemic Thanks, Patrick. This is obviously something really important that we have to get to grips with very quickly. So the main thing that we would do would be to, over a five-year plan, train and recruit an additional 4,000 nurses, 1,000 doctors and 1,000 allied healthcare professionals, so people like physiotherapists and occupational therapists. 
we have an aging population we've got a workforce that is exhausted delayed diagnostics and treatments because of the pandemic so we really need to make this investment to make sure that we're able to tackle the problem quickly obviously this is something which has been exacerbated by covid but the welsh nhs hasn't hit its performance targets for waiting times at any point in the last 10 years so this is something that would have been a problem about the, without the pandemic as well so it's even more vitally important that we really get to grips with this and quickly the other thing I'd, I'd say patrick just quickly is we'd introduce a right to care charter which would establish expectations on waiting times for treatment so people would not only have the expectation they'd be able to know where they are and how long and if something then if it does go wrong then they would have something to be able to fall back on and to and to point out that the, the charter wasn't being met moving on to economy now how will the pledge of a six billion pound green economic stimulus be implemented considering that such amount represents almost a third of the total budget for 2021 thanks fion so i think first and foremost we should distinguish between revenue and capital spending so revenue spend is the day-to-day -day spend on things like health and education uh, and revenue spending has an annual budget um, but capital spend is like it's a one-off spend so it doesn't have a specific annual budget it's it's uh things like if you create a road then that would be something which would be one-off so it would be outside the normal annual budget so the main way that we would fund this six billion stimulus package would be through capital initiatives and like any other government in the world we, we would seek to borrow money in order to do that so just as the uk government borrowed hundreds of billions of pounds in order to fund the furlough scheme we would borrow four billion pounds to support this uh th th this package as well as that we would maximize uh, the amount that we actually are able to borrow even within uh the current parameters that are allowed by the treasury so the treasury sets a limit on how much the Welsh government is able to borrow, which is something that I think definitely should change. Um, but 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 I don't think any Welsh government has ever borrowed the the maximum amount that it could. It is normal for governments to borrow money in order to invest, and so that's that that that's how we would uh, that, that that's how we would mainly fund this package. Let's talk about youth unemployment and your youth job guarantee proposal. Critics like Welsh Labour's economy minister Ken Skate and Conservative Russell George don't think that your policy could work. How would the proposal of a national youth job guarantee be carried out and can you see it succeed? Thanks, Patrick. So with respect to both Russell George and Ken Skate, I, I, I would refute it. We, we absolutely can see it succeed. We'd kickstart the programme with an initial £50 million investment. Uh, so I think that the reason why this proposal is so important to be carried out is because of the impact of COVID-19. So again, we've already talked in terms of mental health about the impact that uncertainty has had on young people. Well, unemployment is going to reach something like 120,000 by the summer. And the the worry is that that unless something is done to address this, then young people could be hardest hit because of well because they tend to be more represented in sectors like hospitality that have been hardest hit by the pandemic so and i think that there's been some research as well that has shown that actually young people 
were far more likely to have been furloughed over the past year. So we need to do something radical here. It's part of our Green Revolution plans. Um, and the way that we've set this out as part again of the package that we've just been talking about in the last question, we have uh, we, we've set our plans about creating a national employment plan that would set out which jobs would need to be created to meet the youth guarantee. It would focus on uh, expanding jobs in health, in social care, childcare, construction, the low carbon economy, and there would be certain expectations of employers that that under this they, they, that the jobs would have to be at least offering 20, at least 25 hours a week, uh, at least paying the minimum wage, and they'd have to be additional. They'd have to provide extra support to young people to be able to go on to find further employment afterwards as well. I think that uh, this, unless something radical and far-reaching like this is put in place, then young people will pay the highest price for something that was in no way caused by any of us. But But I think that we have to aim higher for young people when they're just starting out in their careers. It, it's so important. In your manifesto, you mentioned wanting to bring back the town centre. Firstly, what difficulties do you anticipate facing in achieving this? However, more importantly, what benefits would you expect to see from it? High streets are having to compete with large chains, with shopping, with shopping centres, with online companies like Amazon. So it's really important that we encourage the benefits of buying local to be able to to make sure that people don't go back into their normal uh, spending habits that, that, that were there before the pandemic. Um, in terms of what benefits we, we'd want to see come about from our proposals. So we're proposing that there would be town centre action plans uh, that uh, we would invest in the social infrastructure in, in town centres. So by social infrastructure, I mean uh, community spaces, libraries, parks. We'd be the places that give us all a sense of civic pride uh, that, again, could be the centre of our communities. And there's so many places in the valleys, particularly, you know, we've got so many town halls, these imposing buildings, chapels, places that are actually empty so we one of the things we need to do is empower local authorities to take action on those empty buildings or empty land providing long leases for sublets to local organizations maybe to be able to turn them around and something else we'd be introducing is 20-minute neighborhoods as to make sure that local services and amenities are accessible to all so the next topic we are, are going to be moving on to is the environment. Obviously, it's a very vital issue with a lot of young people. Plaid Cymru pledges to reduce carbon emissions in Wales to net zero by 2035. That is 15 years earlier to what the UK government is aiming for. How will this be achieved and how realistic is this target? Thanks for that, Patrick. I think that this is an area where all of us as politicians have to thank young people for forcing political parties and governments across the world to take this threat seriously. In terms of how realistic the target is, I think that we have to be ambitious for this. So there are countries in the world, I've already talked about Finland with, with regard to free school meals. Actually, if we look to Finland, for this as well, they've set a target for uh, being net zero by 2035. And the fact that they, um, that other countries are setting this target, it shows that it is possible to, possible to be that ambitious. And 
you know, we hear phrases that like that the fact that there's no planet B, there is no planet B, there's no plan B. We have to target all of our resources and all of our ambition into doing something like this. In terms of how achievable it is, well, we'd aim to generate 100% of our electricity from renewables. By 2035, we'd be setting up um, an energy project development company called Any Cymru in Wales that would be that would allow Wales, you know, to join the European norm of establishing a state-backed energy company. That that's the norm in so many countries in Europe. It, it hasn't been in the UK, but but Wales can follow that trend that, that that's seen on the continent as well. Um, as, as part of the the, the target of making sure that we, we, we reach this by 2035, we would expand and electrify the rail network, we'd retrofit homes so that they're of higher environmental standard, standards, we'd build thousands of new carbon neutral social homes, we'd invest in decarbonisation research, and we would also launch a challenge fund, and I think this could be quite exciting for Caffili. So as part of the, the mission almost, we'd launch this challenge fund for cities or towns or communities to seek to become Welsh carbon pioneers by reaching carbon neutrality before 2035. Because we should always be aiming to do these more quickly, to be more ambitious, to set even greater targets, because again, this is the future of our planet. It's the future for future generations who haven't even been born yet. We owe it to them to get this right. Under your manifesto pledge for transport and infrastructure, in addition to the opposition of the M4 Relief Road, you pledge to provide free bus travel to all individuals aged 16 to 24. How will you ensure this is met without increasing the admit already overpriced ticket costs for those not included in the scheme? Okay, thanks for asking that. So we would be subsidising, well, no, the basis of this would be subsidising the cost of the ticket of young people. So the Welsh Government would bear the cost of this policy and the best companies wouldn't be missing out on the fare. So there wouldn't be any need for them to increase the price. They'd still get the same amount of money and it would be incorporated into the contracts that would be drawn up with each best company. So there would be no prospect at all of the ticket costs increasing for anyone else. I'm glad to be able to clarify that. The next topic is on the subject of independence. Now, Plaid Cymru has promised that if elected, they will hold an independence referendum by 2026. Our most recent guests have said that now is not the right time for independence due to the ongoing COVID crisis and the subsequent economic difficulty because of it. Why do you think Wales would benefit from becoming an independent nation? Thanks, Patrick. I thought the independence would come up and I'm, I'm glad to be talking about it. So I think there are quite a few different parts of the question. So to take each of them in turn, in terms of what maybe some of the other guests uh, and some of the other candidates have said about now not being the right time because of the COVID crisis, because of economic difficulty that's come about. I actually think that those two factors have exposed why independence needs to happen. Uh, We've seen throughout the crisis how actually the relatively impoverished uh, state of some of our communities in Wales, particularly in the valleys, has left people living here more exposed to the pandemic. That we've seen how different inequalities, like you know people's uh, health, their living standards, 
that uh, whether or not people have secure employment it's meant that some people have been at greater risk there's nothing inevitable about the poverty that afflicts so many of our communities it's actually the fact that we are hamstrung by being in the westminster system that keeps us being impoverished and one of the of the one of the one of the uh, facts that's often quoted when people say that, that Wales couldn't afford to be independent is the fiscal gap. So that's the amount, that's the gap between the amount of money that is raised in taxes in Wales and what's spent on public services. And it's between something like 13 and 14 billion pounds. I actually think we should turn that on its head. The fact that that gap exists, that there's so much more that we have to spend than we actually raise in, in taxes in Wales, that shows that this system isn't working. It shouldn't be this way. You know, there are 90 something other countries in the world that are independent that have smaller populations than Wales. Uh, and even within the European Union, uh, there are so many other countries that have smaller populations but thrive as, a, as independent nations. I think that it is a, it's a consequence of historical mismanagement, underinvestment in our communities that has led to us being in this state. But there's nothing inevitable about that having to continue and again because of the covid crisis i think that even today so on the day that we're recording this that more allegations have actually come out no actually no they're no longer allegations it seems to now be proof that where there have been a number of times during the pandemic where the uk government has changed has uh, intervened in welsh policy uh, because of what needed to happen in england so what channel four uh, have reported i think it was last night that some some of the some of the students may have read about this last year that there was a bit of um, th th there were some stories going around that a company called roche that was going to be uh, providing tests to wales the welsh government had an agreement with roche that they would be providing 5000 tests a day for wales and then suddenly that agreement was null and void and it subsequently came out that actually the UK government had intervened and had secured tests for England instead and the and Channel 4 have reported on this uh, they've seen emails now and so that they're able to show that actually this did happen this shouldn't be happening in a union of equals so kind of yes this people will say that this is a constitutional question it's remote actually no it's about the bread and butter issues it's about ensuring that decisions to help people's lives in wales are made for the benefit of the people of wales and one other thing i'd say is that things won't stay as they are at the moment that i know that there will be and i i understand why that you know there'll be some people who, who will want things to stay as they are you know the, the, the lots of people don't like the idea of change I, I completely respect that but because of what's happening with scotland uh where i think independence for scotland is all but an inevitability and as well as possibly what's happening with with ireland and and uh who knows a united ireland i fear i would fear that what happens to wales might end up being determined by default and I wouldn't want that to happen. I don't want our fate to be decided by what's happening in other places. I want us to have this conversation now because actually I think it's really empowering for a people to talk about how they want to shape their future. 
independence is the normal state for almost every single place in the world. The UK is the anomaly in this. And if if the UK worked uh, in any functional way, in a way that we actually were not impoverished, then I probably wouldn't feel as passionately about it. But for me, independence is the only pragmatic way of ensuring that Wales and the decisions affecting the lives of anyone who lives here will be made for the benefit of those people and and that we won't have to do things like spending billions of pounds on HS2 just because it's been designated as an England and Wales project when not a single mile of track is going to be in Wales. It, it, it's decisions like that, that that just show that Westminster were an afterthought for them and we should we should be the ones who determine our own destiny. We, we should be the ones who, who fight for this. And this is really exciting as well, Patrick. I know that I'm I'm taking a long time to answer this, but I feel really passionately about it, you know, because there are so many people in Wales, may, some recent polling suggests maybe as many as 40% of people in Wales or 39% would now be in favour of independence. And the figure is far higher amongst young people because I think that it's not just the people frustrated with Westminster. I think as well as that, there is a sense of hope and of excitement and possibility that are caught up with the campaign for independence. And this isn't something that can ever be decided from above, by the way. No government can ever decide that this is what's going to happen. That's why there needs to be a national conversation. And I'm really excited about it. And and, and I, I hope that lots of the young people agree with me too. Before we finish off, before we leave, we're just going to go back up, back to the subject of education. Plaid Cymru has, in the past, made a pledge to scrap GCSEs. Were they to win a majority in the upcoming election? Do you believe that this decision would benefit not just students, but teachers as well? And as we make our way out of the pandemic, is this something that you are still considering? Yeah, thanks. Will. That's a really good question. So, yes, I, I we certainly are uh, considering this. And I certainly think that this would benefit both young people, students and uh, and teachers. When young people, and, and neither of you, and none of your listeners need me to be telling you this, but when young people are in school, I, I remember this well enough myself, that, that young people are put under so much pressure from an incredibly early age to conform to a very particular academic ideal. And because of that, there was a study that was published last year, but I think it was conducted in 2018. So it was before the pandemic. And it asked young people in 35 countries in the world, including Wales, um, and they were between 12 and 15, I think, years old. And they asked them a series of questions about how they felt about themselves, about how they felt about their prospects for the future and, and lots of different things. And th some of the scores for the children in Wales were the lowest or amongst the lowest in any of the 35 countries. And I think we need to really take note of something like that and get to the bottom of why it is that young people are feeling so much pressure that they're not happy about uh, their own, about themselves in, in some way. And I, we talked earlier, didn't we, Fiona, about mental health. And I think that obviously that has to be part of it. There's a whole series of different things I think need to be addressed like body image ideals, and, and I feel really passionately about that as well. But in terms of exams, about what you've asked me here about GCSEs, I think that it is really unhelpful 
to be asking young people to, I don't know, to, to, to all young people to ha- to be de- defined by bits, marks on a piece of paper that were determined by whether or not they happened to get along with particular questions that were asked on a particular day on a particular exam. I think that there are far more progressive ways of dealing with this. I, uh, one, of the, one of the things I know that the Plaid is keen to do is to move actually towards the Welsh back system more than GCSEs, uh, which can be taught in a far more holistic way. But actually, I think, you know, maybe not for right now, but in the very near future, we need to be thinking as a society and certainly as a nation about, yes, the pressures we put on young people and our academic exams as the only thing that that ends up going, you know, to, to, to whether or not you want to go into do A levels, to whether you want to go to university, to whether you want to go to to do an apprenticeship somewhere, why should we be expecting young people to have to conform to this very narrow idea of what academic success is? There are so many different ways of measuring intelligence, and I also feel really strongly that we should be incorporating more opportunities or allowing more opportunities for joy for when people young people are in school you know that we and i'm sure that lots of the people listening will probably think oh yeah that, that that's a silly idea but actually joy is really important it's a really important thing of childhood that is dulled down by this idea always of oh gosh i've got to do this i've got and, and you know and that i can't reset this so i, I think that you know we need to be we need to be f- focusing the way that we assess young people more holistically. It needs to be around the individual. There needs to be more freedom for teachers to be able to help determine what the grade is or, or, or however they end up being assessed. I don't like how reductive GCSEs are, and I think that we need to move away from it. So thank you very much, Ms. Jewell. It's been an honour having you on the show. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for taking the time to do this. I think it's brilliant that St. Martin's is holding these podcasts. And I would just put out a plea again to all the students, please vote. Please use your voice. It is such an exciting opportunity and you can actually help change things for the future. Please vote. That was all from us today at St. Martin's Radio. Thank you very much, Patrick. Thank you, it was an absolute pleasure to be on here today. Join us again next Wednesday where two more students will be interviewing the Conservative candidate, Mr Stephen Mayfield. Thank you very much and thanks for listening to St Martin's Radio. St. Martin's School Radio.